Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Amen. There is. Join me in some prayer. We get started here. Father God, we thank you for your love, your great love, and the demonstration of that love through the death of your Son, taking our place, dying in our place, providing for us eternal life, salvation, grace, mercy, help, hope, healing. Father, we thank you that you are incredible in that great love. And may we understand, Lord God, that be my valentine that invitation that you gave us, Lord God, to walk in the council and in that relationship of your love. I pray, Father God, tonight that you'd give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive the revelation of your truth. And, Father God, sometimes that means that things need to be erased, corrected. And so may the things that have been uh, programmed into our souls be uh, examined tonight in the light of your truth and your word, your Holy Spirit. And may you rewrite those things according to your truth, according to your spirit. And Father, I thank you that you said, I give you power over all the power of the enemy and that nothing shall by any means hurt you. So I bind the powers of darkness, confusion, scattering, disruption, distraction, hindrance, delay, anything that would hide, hinder, hold back, or keep us in that place of darkness, hopelessness, and guilt. Father, I bind and forbid that enemy to continue his operation against us under the counsel of the pious deceivers. And I thank you, Lord, that no weapon formed against us will prosper because we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So therefore, I'm asking you tonight for favor, blessing, uh, revelation, covering, that nothing Satan does to us will prosper to bring forth any shame, trouble, or reproach, that you'd cover us in our words and our conversations, that I would rightly divide your holy word, that we'd hear it properly, Lord God, and that the filters and the perceptions, misperceptions and twistings of the enemy will be removed. And I thank you, Jesus. You are the faithful witness and the wonderful counselor. So, Father, I pray now that you would give us eyes again to see, ears to hear, that I'd speak as the oracles of God, and that your word would be rightly divided. Amen. You know, one of the greatest uh, emergencies, I believe, on the face of the earth right now is... um, could be summed up in a couple of words, and that is in our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with God, and what do we do with sin? Uh, so many of us, you know, are, are believers. We've come to the conclusion that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and that he is the way to heaven. And when we accepted him, the, the light went on. The Holy Spirit quickened us. His spirit began to bear witness with our spirit that his word is true. And yet because of the, the mangling uh, and the the uh, misunderstanding uh, and the um, inappropriate ways that we've been taught the Word of God, looking at the Old Testament, mixing it up with the New Testament, it becomes very difficult for us to understand what's really going on um, and how to walk out this salvation. Um, we are going through the book called Setting Captives Free, and we're coming to the critical part where we're talking about, last week we, we talked about truth equals freedom. And freedom is defined as peace, joy, um, being okay, being okay with being okay. And if you really stop and 
think about that or write that down. Being okay with yourself, being okay with others, being okay with being okay is not about overlooking sin or um, uh, minimizing uh, what we do. It is really about knowing the peace of God, the forgiveness of God, the grace of God, and that everything is now established in a new order. It's called the New Testament, the New Covenant. But let's look for a minute at where a lot of us are at. We're actually saved, but we're still under a ton of curses. There's a ton of bad things happening in our lives. It seems like the gates have been left wide open and the lions are prowling through our lives, our families. And we're getting bit. Um, We're getting struck down. um, Sicknesses, diseases, divorces, poverty, destruction. And yet we know that this is not the, the way it's supposed to be. Um, we look in the Old Testament in Proverbs, for example, it says um, the verse Proverbs 26, 2 says uh, a curse without a cause shall not come um, or a curse that's causeless will not come. So this means that, well, it looks like what I'm suffering from is the result of consequences, probably from sin or judgments. And these are turning into curses or patterns of destruction through my bloodline. And so many of us are struggling and suffering with that, not only on our own behalf, but we see those same patterns of affliction coming down on our children. Um, And each generation seems to get more um, swallowed up in darkness, even though we're crying out to God and some of us daily crying out to God for forgiveness and um, restoration and vindication. And because there's such a, a mixture of, persecutions and suffering, it's hard to separate out, am I suffering suffering for righteousness' sake or for stupidity's sake? Um, is it some, like, something like I'm going through a Job's thing, or is it like I deserve this because I um, made some wrong decisions or whatnot? But let's kind of look at this quickly, and then I want to go back into um, the basis, the very foundation of the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ in the New Testament, which will ultimately must bring us to the place with being okay and not only being okay but being okay with being okay so that it's not about me it's not about my sin it's not about me trying to be good it's not about me trying to make god happy it's it's not about me trying to get to heaven or earn my way to heaven or um prove my own righteousness it's about abiding in jesus christ and becoming his workmanship and then being free of trying to figure out my own life and fix it and being available then to do the will of God, to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, where there isn't that overshadowing or or obstacle of guilt. So many of you are struggling right now to get some healing in your body, for example, and you're, you're, you, you run smack dab into the wall of guilt because you're believing the lie, I, I'm bad, I sinned, I don't deserve good things. Um, this is why I'm suffering in the first place, because if I'd have been a good person, if I went to sin, then all this bad stuff wouldn't be happening to me. Now, that's just plain old reasoning. And we do see that that is, is technically a reality. I mean, it really is happening for a lot of people, but it is not the truth that Jesus Christ wants us to walk in. Um, a good example of that would be Abraham. And just to think of it, we'll go into Abraham's story a little bit more later because he was called to believe God when reason left him. It wasn't reasonable anymore for him to think that he and Sarah could have a child when they're, you know, pushing a hundred. And so he had to move not with reasoning 
uh, but with uh, faith in the promises of God. And so that's when we switch from old to new. Although Abraham was a uh, main character in the Old Testament, God foreshadowed what he was going to do in the New Testament by giving Ab- Abraham the, for- the taste of that promise. And um, But we'll look at that in a second. So let's go back to um, the curse, the curses. We know that the whole Old Testament is pretty much full of the, how I describe it as the if you, then I. If you will do this and this and this, according to Deuteronomy 28, for example, um, then I will bless you. If you obey me, I will bless you. If you don't, I won't. I can't. Um, and so we see a lot of the people falling short of the blessings of God, uh, being pulled into idolatry, being pulled into, um, um, you know, worshiping idols, demons, pagans, going along with the uh, the wickedness of the of the of the day. And we wonder, well, why did God even give them those laws in the first place, being we knew that they weren't going to be able to keep them, and in fact, they didn't. They weren't able to keep them. And so that just became a place of of severe judgment. So why did God give them the law in the first place? Well, because we know from Galatians and Romans that um, the law cannot justify anyone, that no one was justified by the deeds of the law. Um, And the letter of the law kills, as Jesus described it. Uh, then what was the point of the law in the first place? The law was simply given in the Old Testament to distinguish, identify, um, sort out, separate, um, make it clear who belonged to God and who belonged to the, to the devil. Um, the rule, remember there's a war going on. This is a conspiracy. It's been a conspiracy since Satan got kicked, Lucifer got kicked out of heaven and fell to the earth and all of that. So this conspiracy has been going on and on, the war between God and Satan for the souls of men. Well, there's one rule in that war, and the rule is, goes something like this. Jesus said it this way, he who, he who commits sin becomes a slave of sin. That means he who practices sinful behavior, he who listens to the lie, and out of the lie comes the behavior, and that behavior is called sin. He who, does, who listens to the lie loses his freedom, turns his authority over to the, the liar, who has tricked us into believing that his lie was in fact truth when in what when it wasn't, and we get tricked into biting the hook just like the hungry little fish gets tricked into biting a hook and becomes lunch, and so the the law was given as a uh, identifier. So if people were going to okay, obey the law, keep the commandments, um, the Ten Commandments, the ordinances of the temple, the the tabernacle, the the sacrifices, and all that stuff. They were being identified as obedient, and they were keeping um, those ordinances, and they then, um, through the, the rules, they were being kept by God. Obedience was demonstrated. Their faith, their allegiance to God, uh, was demonstrated through their obedience to the rules. Um, Thou shalt not steal, kill, love the Lord thy God, etc., et with all, um, um, or, you know, those kinds of things. And so in the that was necessary because when Satan was trying to destroy the human race, the, um, the race, the, the, the Hebrews, the ones from which and through which the seed of the woman was to come, Satan wanted to um, scatter that people, and he had first tried to destroy their DNA by corrupting all the DNA. Um, God saved that, the last, the nicotine, the last minute, God pulled that off by getting Noah, the only one who was left righteous in his generations, into the boat. The rest with the corrupt DNA had to be done away with. And so God basically started over again. But after that, he had to come up with another plan because Satan was still trying to corrupt all of the 
human beings so that there'd be none um, clean, uh, pure, uh, to bring forth Jesus Christ. And so that part of that uh, protection was to give them a standard, an identification. So as they, as God would look down from heaven and Satan would be accusing uh, God that his people were, you know, disobedient and wandering and not keeping his law. God, all we'd have to, all we'd have to do is look down and see that they're still within the parameters of the law. And so therefore Satan's accusations against them, the claims uh, that he, the pr- charges he was pressing against them in the court of heaven were not standing. And we know from the Old Testament that Satan did press charges against people, even in the Old Testament. We've got Job, we've got Abraham, um, who he went up before the throne of grace and and made a case against the people of God. And don't you think he's not doing that still? But join me tonight if you have a question. I'd love to hear from you as we go through this discussion of law and grace. Uh, again, from a little bit different angle. And you say, man, I've heard her talk about that before. Well, you know, uh, this is the bottom line problem in, in everybody's life. This is why the curses are there and why they still are there after you're Christian, after you're saved. It's uh, The number is 347-215-8051, 347-215-8051. So we see that the curses were uh, a consequence. Um, they're not just something that was... Um, uh, random, there was a cause. Uh, there was a, it says the curse without a cause. So that means that there has to be a cause. There's a reason. And that's good because we understand that there is an order. It's not just a fate, coincidence, bad luck. You're, uh, it's you're the unlucky day and it's on un, your unlucky day. And so you're going to be the one slapped with a curse today. It's, it's basically, um, there is a cause and we wanted to know what those causes were. Well, in the Old Testament, God kind of defined them in terms of a lot of sin and iniquity. If you, uh, Deuteronomy 27 goes into a lot of things that um, brought about curses. They were um, anything from moving your neighbor's landmark, That uh, this is Deuteronomy 27, I'm going to chapter 15, um, to uh, uh, causing the blind to wander off, to, off the way or sleeping with your relatives or sleeping with animals, um, all kinds of things like that. And, he's, and he, these were very strict um, uh and very corrupting. If you did these things, you were going to be, if you treat your mother or father with contempt, curses the one who moves his neighbor's landmark, the one who makes the blind to wander off to the way, perverse, uh, perverse the justice, do the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, takes a bribe, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Then you go into Deuteronomy 28, which is the next chapter, and you see in verse 15, um, it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, um, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And then he goes on, there's the next, there's that's a, one of the longer chapters in the Bible. It's got um, 68 verses about curses, plagues. You're going to lose your children. You know, your uh, your business is going to fail, blah, blah, blah. Now, God is not here to um, frighten us into being good because God is not after that kind of a relationship with us. He's not trying to intimidate us into doing the right thing or being good. What God really wants is he wants to be our father and he wants us to uh, come to him in love. However, because so many Christians are still having one foot in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, and they don't realize that this, uh, the work of sanctification, the job of the Holy Spirit, and the work of salvation was finished on the cross, they still continue to add to the work of the cross um, their own good works. It's like insulting Jesus and saying, well, it wasn't qu- quite enough what you did and I have to still be good. Or if I don't be good, God will get mad at me. And so this is the way the devil wants us to see the whole operation, not as a 
new place of abiding, resting, and in relationship and in love with God, it's still, the devil still wants our relationship to be founded in fear. And, you know, if we're living for God because we're afraid of going to hell, uh, it's, it's like a bad marriage, actually. You're living, obeying the rules. Of, you don't really love the other person, but you're just scared that if you don't do everything right, you're going to get abused or you're going to, you know, get um, somehow re- there's going to be retaliation. That's not the way God wants us to see him, and that's really not the way he is. And also, if you if you keep the law in your um, your predisposition, in your service towards God now, if you keep the Old Testament regulations, what happens is, we're very then um, set up not only for guilt, but also for the consequences of, of demonic judgment. Now you say, well, what about sin? What about sin in the New Testament? What, what you know? Obviously, the Lord says we will sin. Even First John tells us that when He says, "When you sin, confess your sin. God is faithful and just to forgive your sins, um, and don't say you don't sin, because if you say that, you're going to call God a liar." So, and He says in the third chapter of First John that God, if we abide in Him, we cannot sin. Now, from God's perspective, we cannot sin. But from our human perspective, we see that we have sinned. We have been tricked. We have bought into walking in the in the flesh again, so to speak, as as we hear Paul talking about in Romans 7. Um, I'm doing the things I don't want to do. Now, Paul was obviously a believer, writing the sacred Holy Scripture inspired by God at that very moment and telling us he's still doing things he doesn't want to do. And he says, it is the sin that dwells in me. So we're looking at something that's really going on here. There's obviously the the sin that dwells in me was still something uh, that was operating within Paul, within us, that even after we're saved has the power to corrupt our behavior or draw us, entice us, tempt us into doing things that become um, uh, able to separate us from God. So Paul, when he's talking about this, the struggle, this fight to be good, um, the first thing he says is, wait a minute, I agree with the law of God. So he has to identify who he really is. And secondly, he has to identify what has really been done, that God has completed the work. And he says, um, even as he says, um, who will deliver me from this body of death? He's talking about deliverance. But he's also talking about, um, in, in the last verse of 7, in the first of 8, he says, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So this condemnation that the devil would want to keep be, uh, making a part of our relationship with Christ is no longer to be a part of that. And so you say, well, yeah, I, I agree with that, you know, because it's supposed to all be under the blood. Um, and we all agree that the law was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So then why are we so tormented, t- tempted, um, constantly, um, you know, trying to be obedient through, be, you know, to uh, modifying our behavior when we've seen that modifying our behavior really doesn't get us anywhere except uh, perfection, performance, and failure. Trying is very frustrating and it doesn't work. So in the New Testament, God is giving us another option. He's saying, okay, I'm going to write my laws in your heart and obedience. In the Old Testament, obedience activated blessing. Um, it did. If they, if they chose to obey they were going to get the blessings. It is the same in the New Testament. However, the obedience is now focused at not a set of rules to keep, but it's a, it's based on 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 faith. It's based on believing God. Um, when God says to Abraham, 
I'm going to promise you, uh, this is what I'm promising you, all the descendants, your stars as the stars of the, the, the sky and the sand of the, of the ocean, uh, all the land as far as you can see, I'm promising that to you. Um, that was what was accounted to Abraham for righteousness, not the fact that he never screwed up. Because even after God made these promises and Abraham demonstrated them, he demonstrated the faith through uh, being willing, willing to sacrifice his son. He demonstrated the faith by um, looking for a city whose founder and, and maker was God. Even after he was wandering all his life and had a lot of hardships and troubles, he never uh, stopped believing God, even though he wasn't perfect. And you notice when he did mess up, him and Sarah messed up by thinking Hagar was going to be the the way that God was going to. I mean, we always try to think up ways for God to do what he's going to do to keep his promises to help him out a little bit. Notice God never, ever brought that up and said, well, you know, Abraham, I would have given you all that stuff, but you screwed up with Hagar. I mean, you, you, you didn't, you, you stumbled. You, he didn't because Abraham accounted, you know, that faith in God's promise, God's word, God's faithfulness. Everything now was based on relationship with God, not on me being good and deserving and earning. Um, so it's now there is no condemnation. So what we have to do, what, what becomes the, the event is walking out our salvation, our life with Christ in the midst of what still would appear to be a tormenting, um, fiery ch- attack against us in a, in a pretty constant way. And the thing about the old line, the old uh, programming, the old curses, the old patterns of destruction that I teach about a lot has to be de- uh, deleted. And the way they're deleted is by canceling out those old agreements those old things, still, old, it says, behold, all things become new. Uh, old things are passing away. And be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, so as we walk in the word, the word cleanses us, washes us, and reprograms us. So a lot of times we have not yet looked very closely at what has gone on in our generations past. And we're still carrying a lot of the patterns, the destructive thoughts, lies, uh, junk from the generations, even though we're new creatures in Christ. If we would understand, really understand, that we're new creatures in Christ, then these old things would lose their power. However, because they're so familiar and because we have lived with them forever, we've been taught them, we've, we've, we've learned those concepts, we've, we've watched how they work, we, they're our experience, they're our life. We give them so much credit because we've experienced them. It's very hard to let go of what you think you know and what you think is true. And so this becomes a process of learning to let go, trusting God, and walking in the Spirit, walking in the truth. So um, so our, our agreements now with God in following and obedience to Him is based on God's promise, on, his, uh, on faith in His faithfulness, not on the, the Ten Commandments, so to speak. So in the Old Testament, Remember, our obedience was based on keeping the laws the right, and so that we would be identified as the people of God, so that we would be protected from the accusation of the enemy. Now our obedience is based on faith in the promises of God as it was with Abraham. Um, let's look for a minute at those scriptures uh, in Romans chapter 3. Let's see if I can um, find that for you. I'm going to read that out of the... Um, uh, let's See, I'm going to read it out of the Amplified. If you want to follow along, you can. Um, okay, let's see. Um, well, in Romans three, he's talking about you know all of sin and come short of the glory of God, and we all sometimes. I mean, 
a lot of people render that as, oh, we're all sinners. Yes, we are. Yes, the, the only reason God made the law and it's impossible to keep is because he wanted to prove to all of us that nobody could earn their salvation. Everybody, king and queen and peasant alike, all need a savior. So God then becomes the only one, the way, the salvation for whosoever will call upon him. It's There's no respecter of persons with God. Um, uh, let's see. In verse 20, it says, for, for no person will be justified or made righteous or acquitted or judged acceptable in his sight by observing the works prescribed by the law. For the real function of the law is to make men recognize and be conscious of sin, not mere perception, but an acquaintance with sin, which works towards repentance, faith, and holy character. So before you can um, admit you need help or get help, you've got to admit you need help. And before you can do that, you really have to see what's been going on. And a lot of times that is exactly what happens when people are trying to um, use that little uh, tactic to, well, have you ever sinned? Have you ever lied? Have you ever you know, committed adultery? Have you ever stolen? They're trying to, you know, it's, it's, if you don't carry that to the total conclusion of the New Testament salvation, um, it becomes just very frustrating for people because, of course, we've all sinned. What are we going to do about it? So namely, in verse, uh, but the righteousness of God has been revealed independently and altogether apart from the law. Did you hear that? His righteousness. We're about God's righteousness, God's goodness here towards us. And that's the other problem. Satan is trying to make us believe we're guilty, bad, stupid, no good, and never going to make it. He also wants us to believe that God is somehow mad, crabby, and hard to please, and that you have to be perfect to get into heaven. This is all twisted. This is twisted. This is not the gospel of grace. And when Jesus came and talked with the Pharisees and the scribes, this was the argument. You're not keeping the law. You broke the Sabbath. You, you know, and, and Jesus was very firm. I mean, obviously, well, you, your, your disciples, they, they, they were working on the Sabbath. They slipped that grain through their fingers and ate it. And, and it's, it's so meticulously stupid. And Jesus was having, um, you know, I don't, I, he was having a, uh, that was his focus. That was his main, you know, his job, his focus, his goal in coming here. There was about three things. Number one, to show the love of God, the compassion of God to the masses, bring salvation, bring healing, bring um, uh, hope, bring the, the uh, principles of the kingdom of God. Not the Old Testament as they had learned it. That was a temporary measure. But to now establish the full, real deal, not temporary um, uh, stopgap measures until Jesus would come. So he was coming to present the kingdom of God, its principles of love and mercy and compassion. And the big deal now is forgiveness. The big deal now is forgiveness. And that comes out of love. That comes out of because you've been forgiven, you've forgiven. So that's why God, you know, our big thing is he says, if you want forgiveness, if you want mercy, then you must be merciful. You must forgive. He didn't say, if you want forgiveness, then be perfect. And keep the law. Yeah, he says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But that's perfect in attitude and, and perfect in wanting to be like God, letting the Holy Spirit have his perfect work in you. So we say um, we see that um, all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. Um, see, the righteousness of God that comes by believing with personal trust and confidence and reliance on Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And it is meant for all who believe. There is no distinction. So in other words, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile, uh, a Muslim, uh, a Catholic. It doesn't matter. It's the same for everybody. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, who bestows favor and receives us. 
For all have are justified and made upright and in right standing with God freely and gratuitously by his grace, his unmerited favor and mercy through the redemption which is provided for Jesus Christ. Um, it's not because of works. It's not by works of righteousness which we, which we have done, but according to his grace. So now we're seeing that God is not wanting to be in a relationship with us as an employer. He's not causing us to have to work to earn something so he owes us a wage. He wants to be a father and give us that which is freely given. You don't get an inheritance by doing something nice for someone. You get an inheritance by being the son or daughter of someone or the the nephew of someone who wants to get grace you with, give you something that you could not earn and they wanted to just because of their goodness. So God wants to just, just demonstrate his goodness to us in this New Testament. And if we don't get that, and if we continue to mix and mingle law and grace, you're going to continue to come under the, the counsel of condemnation and guilt, which are coming through your soul, your mind, will, and emotions. Oh, I should have. Oh, I didn't. And that guilt is going to set you up then for demonic judgments, which you are going to attribute to God because you're going to believe the lie that God's mad at me because I didn't do this and that right, and now this is what's happening, and these are my consequences. And this is the way... We train our children. This is the way we have been trained. We've been trained to believe I am bad and I've got to be good. I'm not good enough. I need to be better. God's still mad at me. Well, when's God ever going to not be mad at you? How will you know when you finally got there and he's not mad at you? He just simply says, you know, you're my daughter. You're my son. I died on the cross. It is finished. The Holy Spirit's inside of you sanctifying you. How many of you are making such a mess of your life trying to straighten it up? You know, you're just wearing yourself out. And what are you doing? You're just trying to get rid of your sin, which was already get, gotten rid of cross over 2,000 years ago. You're trying to be good enough to get God to like you and to get a healing. The, the reason people don't get healed is because of guilt and the unloving spirit. They do not feel they are worthy of that love. If you know that Jesus loves you, you know, but you were trained, I was trained, we were brought up in the most horrific circumstances, some of us worse than others, in these demonic concentration camps, some of them called families, some of them without families, every kind of fiendish, diabolical, twisted, perverted, difficult thing Satan could do to use your circumstances to make you believe lies, to get you to believe lies, to come into agreement with them, was done. And he is clever beyond clever, and he has no end of an intelligence to outwit and outsmart us. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot be good enough to save ourselves. It is the mercy of God. And let's read about that. He says, um, let's see, for, let's see, verse 25, I'm at, whom God put forward before the eyes of all as a mercy seat and propitiation for his blood. Oh, stop. Let's go back to 24 so we can see what we're talking about here. All are justified and made upright and in right standing with God freely. And gratuitously, by his grace, his unmerited favor and mercy through the redemption which is provided through Christ Jesus. This is a free gift. This is an astonishing, incredible rescue. This is God coming down to earth, becoming a, um, a God-man, if you will, a, a divine and human, to die on the cross for our sins. Now, the problem is the law cannot take away your sins because the wages of sin is death. Sin required the penalty promise of better behavior. That will not satisfy the demands of sin, which is the wages of sin, which is death. You, you cannot, I mean, let's just say that you uh, killed somebody. Maybe it was accidentally. You go into court 
and um, you're charged with manslaughter or whatever some of those different specific terms would be. You cannot go up to the grieving uh, family of the person who's died and offer them uh, a fruit basket uh, or, a, you know, a, a check of some sort or, or, or a, uh, you cannot promise them you'll be better the rest of your life. That's not going to solve the problem. And so the law could not justify it. It cannot solve the problem. The problem was somebody had to die. Now, the good news was that one man sinned. Therefore, the fairness and the equal, equality of that is only one man has to die. But he has to be the right man, a man qualified to die. It's just as one man, Adam, sinned, one man, Jesus Christ, brings righteousness. So see, making the law the justification uh, for our redemption is, well, it's just impossible, and it doesn't work anyway, and it's not fair, because how many people aren't going to have a chance? They're, they're, they're not even going to be presented with, you know, they, they don't have a chance. They don't even know what that looks like. But they can come to Jesus. It says, "All whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's very, very simple. Two- and three-year-olds can do it, actually. Um, but we are, we're, we're tied up, tangled up in our reasoning and our intelligence and our religion and listening to lies. Does, do you get this? Is this what you've been doing? I mean, we're not just talking rhetoric here. We're talking real, live, living freedom. We're talking the gospel of grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The law was fulfilled in him. The law was satisfied. It got what it wanted. It wanted somebody to die. Sin wanted somebody to die. And that somebody was Jesus Christ, whom God put forth before the eyes of all as a mercy seat and propitiation by his blood, the cleansing and life-giving sacrifice of atonement and reconciliation to be received through faith. See, now this is what, where faith comes in. I, can't, I believe this. I believe it is finished. I believe it because God's happy with it. God did it. God said it. It was God's idea. And all I have to do is say, go, God. I'm for you. I'm with you. That was cool. I'm in. And people say, oh, that's way too hard. That's too easy, too easy. I mean, I must have to do something. Well, the the something you have to do is die to yourself and allow the Holy Spirit to live in you. Allow the spirit of the life of Christ Jesus to begin to live in your life. And you become a demonstration of his life through you and he will live his life through your gifts and attributes and how he created you, but he wants to live his life in you and bring forth the fruits of righteousness, peace, and joy so that you become like him. Uh, this is to show God's righteousness because he, because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over the and ignored former sins without punishment. He didn't say, well, wait a minute. Let me check the balance sheet. How much do you owe? How much do you owe? Oh, how much do you owe? What do you got to pay? No. There's no there's no amount that you can pay. It's the payment has been made. Payment for sin, the wages of sin is death. God paid it Himself. It, that's because He loves us. It was demonstrated and proved at the present time in this now season, in the now, right now, that He Himself is righteous and He justifies and accepts all as righteous Him who has true faith in Jesus Christ. Now you say, well, I don't know if I believe in God enough. I don't know if I have enough faith. You know, who said that? Where's that coming from? Is that coming from the Holy Spirit who's trying to create doubt in you or double-minded or make you not sure of your salvation or maybe have some uh, naysayer come up and say, well, you, you might have been, uh, might be a false salvation. You know, it, it's maybe not real. 
Who is, has a right to ask that question of you? Who in God's world made him or her a judge of where you're at with God? We are to our own master. We stand or fall. You don't belong to anyone else. No one else died for you. They do not have a right to judge your life, nor do you to judge theirs. You give them the freedom to live or die according to as the Holy Spirit leads them. That's between them and God. But your faith in Jesus, I don't know if I have enough faith. I don't know if I believe enough. I need to believe more. Who's talking to you? Is that from heaven or hell? You just simply need to sort things out quickly in your life because the battle doesn't permit uh, hours of meditation on this because the bullets are flying, the swords are flying, the darts, the, 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 the grenades. Who said it? Is it from heaven? Is it from hell? If it's from hell, because what does it produce in you? Well, it produces doubt, fear, um, confusion. And where is doubt, fear, and confusion from? If it's from hell, then tell it to go back to hell and shut up. Don't entertain these things. Don't sit down and meditate about them. What the, you know, the Bible says, think on whatsoever things are pure, lovely, honest, just, and of good report. Is that what anxiety has you think on? Is that what fear? Religion, law, legalism, those are demons' names. And they want you to meditate on your failure and what you haven't done yet and how God might still be mad at you. And you have this thing that you're struggling through. You have it coming. Well, if you've accepted it that, you know, I, it's my cross to bear, I deserve it, um, you know, um, it's the best I can get. For example, people who keep repeating the same old, same old bad choices in relationships, well, it's as good as I can get, or I deserve, that's all I deserve. You're believing a lie, and you pr- you've agreed with the lie, so the devil has full permission to recreate that pattern of destruction again and again. We need to say, Lord, what's the lie I'm believing that causes this to constantly happen? I don't want that. I want the truth. I want to know the truth that you died for my sins. Every old things have passed away. Um, So God's life in us was to prove or demonstrate that we are uh, righteous in him. And it's not because of uh, our pride or our boasting. It is excluded, banished, ruled out entirely. On what principle? On the principle of doing good deeds, is that how we're justified? No, but on the principle of faith, going back to the promises. God did not give Abraham uh, a a lengthy um, to-do list and say, okay, if you do all this, do, 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 this, this, then I will make you the father of many nations. He didn't say that at all. He says, here, I got a good deal for you, Abraham. All you got to do is believe me. I would love to give you a son. I want to give you the the nations uh, for your inheritance. Abraham, do you like that idea? Yeah, I love it. Okay, well, let's go for it then. The principle of, God, of believing that God cannot lie. Basically, your salvation is based on not what you think or not what you think you don't think or not what you believe, try to believe or what you, you, you reason. It is what God says. Bottom line. Bottom line on the whole word of God is it's what God says and it's going to go the way God says and that's it. Believe it or don't. If you don't believe it, give yourself a very good reason for not believing it. Most of the reasons you're, believing, you're not believing it is because you are listening to liars. Liars who live inside of you and counsel you as if they were the Holy Spirit. You need to be more conscientious about what you're thinking. Not every thought you think you thought are thoughts you thought. Some of the thoughts you think you thought are thoughts. And we want you to think you thought so we get you to think you thought them so you agree with them so he can use them against you. You get this? It's a battle. It's a conspiracy. And the war isn't just going out there. It's not just going out there with, with uh, giants and aliens and uh, Nimrod and Antichrist. It is inside of us, and that is the bigger deal than any out there kind of deal. Because that out there kind of deal, I, there's not a lot I can do about that. The giants show up, if the aliens show up, if the fairies show up. I got. What's important 
is do I know who I am inside and am I fearless in the love of God? Jesus is saying, be my Valentine. He's not saying, you know, for you who are going to send Valentines this year, you might say, are you going to write a Valentine? says, um, be my Valentine. If you keep these rules, I will love you. That's not going to fly with your lover, is it? You do this and this and this. You wash my shirts. You scrub my floors. You do my dirty laundry and make sure I have three square meals on the, day, day, uh, on, on the table every day. And then I will love you. You say, you jerk, wouldn't you? But this is just a human valentine. What is God saying? Okay, I want you to be my valentine. Here are the rules. And if you break them, you're out. No, he says, be my valentine. Our love is going to be based on what? Intimidation and coercion and fear and consequences and judgments or on commitment, compassion, and forgiveness. Now, when you're really in love with someone, it's not about the rules at all, is it? You know, because somebody can keep the rules totally and hate you completely. I mean, just think about it. I mean, if you're scared enough, you will keep the rules, but you will not necessarily like that person or want to be with them or love them. You can't grab your love around the throat and say, you're going to love me. You're going to, you hear, you're going to love me. That's called abuse. That's called get out of that relationship. God doesn't grab you around the neck and say, you're going to love me. You hear? No, it's all about whosoever will come unto me. Come, all you that labor in heaven. Believe in me. I love you. So it's about his commitment. It's a covenant. It's not a contract. It's not a deal. We're not making a deal with God. Laws and rules and fine print is about deals. This is about, oh, you know, this is about love and commitment. God, I just screwed up. I really did. You know, he says, yeah, I, I know you screwed up. Just confess it. Tell me you're sorry. We're on our, you know, what confession means is you're just saying, you know, God, I just cancel out the agreement I made with that stupid idea. And I'm declaring you're right. And I'm, I'm back with you. And God says, good, we're good to go. Um, so we're, you're not trying to keep the law because that still calculates our righteousness according to earnings, doesn't it? I mean, so what comes out of keeping the law? Self-righteousness, judgmentalism, judgmentalism um, bad attitude, blindness, critical spirit, um, holier than thou, no compassion, no pity. You think that's going to win the, the, the loss? You think they're going to be so impressed by your self-righteousness, by the abilities you have to nail them to the wall and condemn them? Do you think that's going to draw them to Jesus? God does not, not want to be our employer. He doesn't want this to be about earnings. He wants us to be us to come to him and love because he wants to be our father. He, that's his whole deal from the beginning. He never wanted to be the Lord over, I mean, he is the Lord, don't get me wrong, but he's the Lord over heaven and earth, the king of kings. And we are not having to come to him in, uh, yes, the fear of the Lord. That's reverence, respect. That's, ah, that's incredible because we're recognizing our condition and position and his great gratitude and, and, and generosity uh, towards us. We're grateful to him. But he wants to be a father. He doesn't want to be an employer. So we're going to just have to scratch this idea of the law and come into the fullness of what he has for us because our pride isn't going to do it for us. You know, self-righteousness is not going to do it. Um, it says, for we hold that a man is justified and made upright by faith, independent of and distinct apart from good deeds, works of the law. You say, well, what about the works of the law? What The observance of the law is nothing has nothing to do with justification. Well, then how do we get justified? The works that we are interested in are the works that turn into fruit, that come out of an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. 
He is responsible, faithful, if you will, to what happens in and through us as we continue to hang in there with him and abide with him. Um, God knows what he's doing. God isn't the God just of the Jews. He has no special favorites. He's the God of the Gentiles. He's given us a chance to come in. Um, And in the Old Testament, Abraham, he was given the circumcision, but this act of circumcision um, was given after the promise. It was given like when you get married, you say your vows and then you put the ring on. There's the sign of the wedding vows and the marriage is that ring. And the the circumcision was a kind of a sign of the covenant that he and and God had entered into. And so it's, it's not circumcision that made him married. It's not the ring that makes you married. It's the vows. It's the promise that makes you married. The ring is simply a, uh, a, a symbol of that or a, a, a sign of that, a reminder of that. Um, so Abraham was stepping into a new place. And it's interesting that the Ten Commandments came hundreds of years after Abraham got the promise because Moses was like, uh, I think it was 430 years later, approximately. Uh, they were out, They were in Egypt for like 400 years and finally then came out and when they were leaving in the wilderness, God gave them the Ten Commandments, and that was a protection. That wasn't because God had been mad at them. It was really a blessing and a favor, but because Satan took the advantage, and that's what he still does, because the law is still alive and well in those who let it. That's why God says don't mix works with grace, because if you do that, Satan's going to use that law against you, because every time, if you don't realize you're already forgiven, then every time you um, screw up because you're still remembering the law, and Satan is the enforcer of the law, and he uses the law to justify his case against you in the court of God. You sin, therefore, he gets to bring judgment upon you. Guilt, and guilt is barrier that separates us from God. When you feel guilty and you've, you've screwed up with your lover, you feel bad, you feel guilty, what do you want to do? Usually the first thing you want to do is either hide it, keep a secret, try to make up for it, uh, deny it, um, pretend like it didn't happen, but the guilt doesn't go away. What you really need to do is, has, is reveal, confess, and forsake that thing and admit, you know, that what's gone on has been a trick. Um, here he says, um, we do this by faith and we make the law of no effect. Overthrow it or make it de- a, a dead letter. The, he says, well, not, not really. I mean, obviously the law is still there, but on, we confirm it and establish it. We uphold the law by going into the place of respecting it, but going into the place of grace. So we see Abraham, as we were talking about, he was the forerunner of, of who we are, what we're, what we're all about, the salvation through faith, through the promises. Now, when you go back down to Abraham's, where it gets real, really tricky for Abraham, uh, he received that mark of circumcision. But in chapter 4 of Romans, um, the uh, let's see, let's go to verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his posterity that he should inherit the world. Whoa, pretty big inheritance. That's about bigger than anything we're going to get, isn't it? (laughs) Down here anyway. Did not come through observing the commandments of the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Um, If it is the inheritance, adherence of the law, uh, those who are to be the heirs. In other words, if you're uh, uh, adhering to the law and that's going to make you. Then faith is made futile and empty of all meaning, and the promises of God are void. There's no purpose or power behind them. For the law results in divine wrath. So 
remember this, that the law brings about, actually gives sin its power. So when Satan can continue to keep Christians very aware of the law, now you say, well, wait a minute. You mean that after I'm saved, I can actually disobey my parents, I can dishonor people, I can go out and murder people, I can steal, I can covet, I can, and there's no big deal? No, actually not, because the law that you are now under is upgrade an upgrade from the law of the Ten Commandments. It's thou shalt not, not thou shalt not kill, but thou shalt love. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, so mind, and strength, and thy neighbor as thyself. This is really an upgrade, and not only is it an upgrade, it's also been embedded into our hearts. God says he would write his laws in our hearts. So it's not an external thing anymore. It's not a, you can look good on the outside and be crooked on the inside. It's my heart has been turned to believe God and I want to, I want to love him and I want to see his work fulfilled in me. Um, let's see. So verse, um, for the law results in the wrath of God. God does not want to play that wrath game with us. He wants to play love instruction, encouragement. Therefore, inheriting the promises is the outcome of faith and depends entirely on faith in order that it might be given as an act of grace, unmerited favor, to make it stable and valid and guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to those who are devoted to the law, but those who also share the faith of Abraham. Thus, he is the father of us all. Those in the Old Testament were considered righteous because they kept the law. But there were some who would have kept the law anyway. I'm sure Mary uh, and Joseph and, and, and John and Elizabeth, they were going to keep the law because it was already in their hearts. They already wanted to do the will of God. They didn't know as much as we do, obviously. Yeah. Okay. Hey, wait, we got someone here? Okay. Hello. Hello. Can't hear you. <laughs> oh, hello. Hi. I Hello. have a question yes. for you. Um, okay, so the concept of or the um about the devil being in the throne room or the courtroom accusing us of our yep. sins yes. is a new concept to me and I I have seen it in scripture since you've mentioned it. But I uh-huh. just was wondering a little bit more detail on that. Like is he always in there accusing us like every time we sin? Absolutely. Like in the throne room with God. Well, like, the the way that that's work? a very yeah. okay. Well, it, it first of all, people say, well, Satan can't possibly be up in heaven. Well, according to the book of Job, he was going to and fro on the earth, and he came up. And I can read that to you in the first couple of chapters of Job. He came up, and God said to him, "Where have you been?" And he says, um, "Going to and fro on the earth." And then. Um, and God said to him, have you seen my righteous servant Job? Obviously, if Satan's been running around on the earth, he probably would see God's righteous servant Job, who was sitting there being pretty righteous, doing all the things that, according to the law at the time, that were required. So he says here, um, um, let's see, chapter 1, um, this is verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth in it. So they were present, the, the sons of God were presenting themselves before the Lord, and we would imagine that would be somewhere in heaven or somewhere. I'm not saying it's the actual throne room. I don't know if it was the, the, the waiting area, the vestibule. Uh, the, it was in heaven. Anyway, he was in the presence of God. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And there is none like him, that there is none like him 
on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan said to him, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household and everything that on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands, his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Now listen, this is very interesting. Satan is saying to God, you stretch out your hand and, cur- and he will curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, and what did he do? He immediately touched him. So Satan had to get permission from God. God gave him permission, not because God wanted to see Job stumble, or God didn't know if Job's faith was any good, but God has permitted his children to be, um, to be refined and Satan is actually the one who does it. God does, it says in the Bible in James, God does not tempt anybody, and he doesn't tempt us to sin. He doesn't tempt us with evil. So God did not tempt Job, but, Job, but God permitted. That's why God says in some various places like um, Isaiah and stuff, I bring peace and I bring calamity. He's not a God who's double-minded and wicked, but he permits the enemy because of this war. See, God is very just, and God permits Satan, here's the rule, whom they yield themselves servants to obey his slave, he become. Well, Job was a believing, he was believing God, doing all that was, you know, God had required of him, but he still had fear in his heart that maybe his sons had sinned, and so he would pray for them every day. Well, so you see that, that Satan and God can be in the same place at the same time, even though people have taught you, probably, that light and darkness can't be in the same place at the same time, and God and the devil can't be in the same place at the same time. But I'm going to ask you a question if God is omnipotent and omniscient and he's everywhere the same, you know, everywhere at the same time, where in the world could Satan ever be that God is not? God is already filling everything with his presence. So Satan is limited. Satan is finite. He's not infinite. But he has got to be in a place. And, and what about in the Garden of Gethsemane? When Jesus was in the Garden and Satan came to tempt him, you know, um, and, and, and he, Jesus uh, sweat great drops of blood in this conflict, in this agony between what Satan was doing, whether it was in his presence or uh, tormenting his mind, whatever he was doing. And also in the wilderness, this, the, the devil for 40, year, 40, 40 days came and tempted him. So this is, you know, um, Peter says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes. You and I as believers are going through um, a persecution. Now, that doesn't mean you've broken the law. You know, everybody, Abraham, there is a, um, another uh, text, not in the, the Bible as we have it, but in one of the extra books that's not present in the canon that we have, talks about Mastema, is another name for Satan, went up and did the same thing uh, in God's presence regarding Abraham. And he said, ever since you've given Abraham his son Isaac, he doesn't pay any attention to you anymore. You didn't even get invited to the birthday party because when Isaac was weaned, Abraham invited all the kings of the of the area to come. And so Satan was rubbing this in God's face. And, you know, and so God is saying, my righteous servant, how is God going to prove we're righteous if he doesn't let his enemy test us? God knows his workmanship in you is good. But the devil isn't going to believe that. You know, and you don't know. I mean, but God knows he's able to keep and complete that which he's begun in you. Paul says, I uh, you know he's able to um, complete the work that he's begun in me in, in uh, Philippians 1, six. 
uh, I committed to him those things I've committed to him against the day. He knew that God was keeping him and God is keeping you. But when you and I, here's how it goes. So Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. So he goes before God and he says, I have a right to bring a judgment on her because, look, and he'll bring something up. Maybe it's something you did. Maybe it's something you agreed to. Maybe you don't even realize you agreed to it. Maybe, like, for example, let's just say that in your bloodline, your generational bloodline, that there were three or four generations of people who shed blood. They, um, they were, maybe they were royalty. They were kings, queens. They were sheriffs. They, they shed blood. And so Satan now comes down and says, and no one's asked for forgiveness for that. No one's repented. No one's confessed it as sin. I, I'm asking for the right to give her, and he's very legalistic, so he'll keep it in line, in line with what he's already got on the books for you. So it's shedding of blood. So he will bring something to the Lord like, I have a right to take her blood. I have a right to give her a stroke. I have a right to give her a heart attack. I have a right to, you know, burst her aorta or whatever. Because it's blood for blood. You say, well, wait a minute, I'm a Christian. Yes, you are. But that's why when when old things pass away, we have to get under grace and realize that those things that our generations were agreeing with, though those people may not have been saved, still provide an open door and an opportunity for Satan to come down and specifically test us in those matters. I have done thousands of these generational bloodlines, literally. And you will find every time whatever's going on in your life, I don't care if you're the best believer in the world, Whatever's going on in your life is similar to what's gone on in the generations right before you and is also starting to happen in your kids if your kids are old enough for you to start to see the pattern. So the thing is, Satan wants to accuse you. Now here's the deal. If you have a guilt in your heart, if you're feeling, uh, yeah, I broke that law. Yeah, I, was, I yelled at my husband yesterday and, um, I haven't asked him, and you're feeling guilty and Satan presents that case before God. That you're, you know, and you then, because of the feeling of guilt, will side with the devil's argument, and then God can't do anything because you're going to be feeling bad. Like for example, okay, like say you're in a courtroom, and um, you're 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 uh, in there because of uh, you've been accused of, let's just say you've been accused of stealing cookies out of a cookie jar. Okay, and 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 God is the judge. You're in there. Um, you know you didn't take the cookies. You're accused of it. You know you didn't take the cookies. You know that your brothers used to take always stealing cookies, and your father was a cookie stealer from way back. But you know that you didn't do it. But the devil presents such a good case to the, fa- to the judge about you that you begin to believe that you are guilty. So you come into agreement with a prosecutor who's trying to prosecute you and, and string you up for life. This is what people do when they believe the lies. I'm bad. I'm stupid. I'm no good. I don't have enough faith. God's mad at me. I deserve, this is all I deserve, um, et cetera, et cetera. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Did I, did I lose you? Okay. No, no, Ask. I was listening. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that makes a lot of sense, and that helps me visualize it more, and it makes me understand um, the scriptures when they say that Jesus is interceding on our behalf. It That's makes right. more mm-hmm. sense to me with that scripture. But um, my son has been listening in, and he's been wanting to ask you a question this whole time. So is that okay oh, to ask you a question that Absolutely. I can't explain? Okay, but okay. off topic, sure. but he wants to ask you. Okay. Um, I love off topic. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think anyone can solve this, but uh, I was thinking that I was thinking that um, 
what if God wasn't even born? Like, what, what like, what if God was, was when was God born? And like, what mm-hmm. if He wasn't born? Who was? Like who created God? Okay, good question. That is a very good question. And God always was. And you say, well, I don't get that because everybody has to be born. Well, uh, how old are you, by the way? Can I ask how old you are? Eight. Okay, eight. Super good. Super eight. All right. You know what? What happened our life is that we, when we are born, when we came into this world, we came in to some dimensions. One of them is time and one of them is space. Time is a created dimension. We have a birthday. We begin and we live for however many years we're supposed to live. And then when we die, we go out of the time. It's like you're you're born into a hallway. And that hallway is time. You're born at the beginning of the hallway and you go all the way through the hallway. And at the end of the hallway, you exit and you go into eternity and you live forever and ever and you never die. Because you and I were already alive in the mind of God. So when in the beginning, it says in Ephesians, God knew about us before we were ever born. So when we're on this earth, we are in time. But time does not make any sense to, uh, forever doesn't make any sense to us because we're trying to ex- explain, explain and understand forever in terms of our finite mind of time. Does that make sense? God always was, always will be because for God, there's only one time. And the time is now. Everything is now with God. Now, now, now. Now was now, and now is now, and now is going to be now. It's always the big now. It never, he never ends. He never gets old. And if you draw a circle on your paper, you put the pencil down, and you draw the circle, and you connect the circle, it becomes a circle, and there's no beginning and end anymore, is there? It's a circle. It goes round and round and round. And so you and I are, in that way, we came into being because God created us. But we are going to live forever. And who created God? God was not created. God, God is. Does that make sense? I know it's hard to understand that because it's like, it's like you have a, a little thimble. Let's pretend like your understanding of time is like a little, do you know what a thimble is? Or let's just say a teacup. That's easy. You know what a teacup is, right? So you're like, you have a teacup and tea, the teacup is time. Okay. And you're going to take your time teacup and you're going to try to empty the ocean with your little teacup. How long is it going to take you to empty the ocean with your teacup, do you think? How long? Um, <laughs> how long? Years. Oh, a long time. Have you seen the ocean? So, forever, yeah, probably forever, because by the time you, you, get, you know, run back and forth and dump it wherever you're going to dump it and get, get another teacup, forever. So it's you're never going to get done. And that's kind of the way it is. We're never going to get done living. But the good thing is we don't want to die anyway. We don't like the idea of dying. So when, you, when people die on this earth, what they're really doing, they're simply leaving the hallway of time and going back into eternity. Now, the, the good thing is if you love Jesus, you get to go into heaven and be with him in his huge heaven where he's made a mansion for you. And, you know, that's, that's the best part about it is we never die. Does that make sense? Yeah, but why do we, like, pass away, like, when you're really old, like 100? Because we wear out. 
This body was not made to live more than like 120 years. In the olden days when Adam and Eve were here, did you know Adam lived almost, he lived 900 years, 900, that's almost a thousand. And then after the flood, God said, yep, I'm only going to let them live 120 years from now on. And so after that, lives got shorter and shorter. But it does, when we pass away, it's like going into, through a doorway. You go through the doorway of this life or through that, that hallway. You go through the last doorway at the end of the hall, and you walk in through the doorway. It's called death, but you go into a nice big room of forever. So it's not, it's it's like graduation. You get out of school and you finally get to go outside and play. Does that make sense? Yep. I have Do you one love more Jesus? question. Oh, sure. Great. Um, how was day and time made? Like Day and time. time by, well, time actually was made when God made light. I just learned this myself not very long ago. But when the beginning, God says, in the beginning, um, uh, God made the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. And then God says, hold on, I'll read it to you. It's very Genesis chapter 1. He went, you know, I don't know if you've learned in science yet, but the speed of light, what's the speed of light? 1,800 and something, what is it? Uh, miles miles per second. It's one. Gravity. It's 186, no, the the speed of light, how far, how far light will travel in a second. It's in miles. It's 1,800 and something, something, thousand miles a second. So actually when God made light, he made time. He didn't say he made time, but he actually did make time. He says, um, verse, he says, and God said, verse 3, and then God said, let there be light, and there was light. All God had to do, because his word is creative, his word is power, when God says something, boom, it happens just like that. He was so he didn't make every single squirrel and every single, uh, you know, mouse and everything. He just said, "Let the earth bring forth the creatures," and boom, all of these creatures started popping up like kitties and dogs and elephants and all this stuff because God just said it with His word. So God's word is creative. God's word is powerful. And so when God said, "Light the, let, let there be light," and there was light. And then it says in verse 4, and God saw the light, that it was good. And then God divided the light from the darkness. So he made the day and the night. But so time was made when he made the light. Is that? I, I know that's very scientific. You might have to look that up on Google and study it out a little bit more. But um, uh, light, you know, with the stars, how far away they are? Well, they can tell how far they are by how long it takes for them for us to see them when they, you know, when they twinkle, how how long does it take? How many miles away are they? So the distance is determined by the time it takes for them to for us to see them. So mm-hmm. it's time plus distance equals, you know, um, th- that that length of uh, where how far away they are or how bright they are. That's a good question. You got any more? Um, I think I have one more. Um, okay. Is I was just thinking that why do some people like put um chemicals in your body and like why yeah. does the devil like, trick you? Oh my goodness. Well, I'll tell you why the devil tricks you because that's what he is. He's a liar. Jesus said he's a liar, he's a murderer, and he's a thief. And he was a liar from the beginning. 
So why do people put chemicals in their body? The main reason, number one, we are made up of chemicals. And they're, the chemicals God made for our bodies to be made up of are like water and um, minerals and um, you know calcium and things. Those are, those are uh, elements of the earth. And there are neurotransmitters and there are food is chemicals. Food is made up of things that you eat that help you to live. But the naughty chemicals that people put into their bodies like drugs and, um, oh, let's just say things like cigarettes and things that are not, not, not healthy for you. The reason they do that is because they're tricked into believing a lie. I think the lie is that they're believing is that if I do this, I will feel better. And really, if you really want to get serious about it most of the time, People are doing stuff they don't want to do. Like a lot of times when people, for example, are smoking, they're saying, I don't want to smoke. I hate smoking. I wish I didn't smoke. I'm going to try to quit smoking. And yet they keep smoking. And you say, well, why are you keeping smoking if you say you don't want to smoke? And they say, well, I hate smoking and it's bad for me. It's putting nails in my coffin and I don't know. It's, it's, it's ruining my lungs. I just hate it. And then I say, well, why don't you quit? But they said, but I tried to quit, but I can't quit. So Paul the Apostle Paul says, if you're doing something that you don't want to do, in Romans 7.20, he says, if I am doing what I don't want to do, it's not me doing it. So guess what? The, I believe that the devil, the demon, is inside of that person trying to get, he's the one who wants to smoke. They don't know he's there, so they're smoking a cigarette, thinking, believing the lie, I like the taste, it helps me calm down, um, I'm used to doing it, I can't quit, they believe all those lies. And actually, it's the devil who's smoking the cigarettes, and they are buying the cigarettes for him, and they are letting him use their body to smoke with. Now, is that crazy or what? Yeah. It's crazy, I know. But, you know, it doesn't make any sense. Otherwise, why would people do what's going to kill them? Why would they do meth? Why would they do drugs? Why would they do, you know, get drunk? Why would they um, eat junk food? Why would they do that? Because it's not mm-hmm. good for you. Do you want... Did you want to die? No, you don't want to die. Well, who's wanting you to die? Of course, the devil wants you to die. Does Jesus want you to die? No. So Jesus wants to deliver. So Paul says, who will deliver me? Who will get this thing out of me? And then he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ. There's now therefore no, con- therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, you know, you're eight years old, but I bet you understand war very well, don't you? In war, there's two sides, right? There's, on this, in this war, there's God. And the devil. And the devil started out as the most beautiful of all the angels, and his name was Lucifer. And when he was tested to see if he would really love God, he said, I want to be God. I think I can do it. He says, which one of you guys are going to go with me? And a third of the angels said, we'll go with you. And so when they rebelled against God because they wanted to take over heaven and be God, then Michael, the biggest archangel up there, He had to take and his sword, and he had to knock Lucifer out of heaven, and Lucifer fell down to the earth, and that's when all the trouble started for us because Lucifer stole the earth from Adam and Eve because God had given it to us, and he had given us power, and Adam and Eve had brilliant brains, and they named all the animals. Do you think you could name all the animals in one day and remember what their names were without writing it down? I mean, Adam knew all their names, and there was probably a lot of animals, and he, he was supposed to take care of the garden and everything was going very cool until they sinned. And the reason you said, well, why did they sin? Well, because God didn't want to just force them to be robots and serve him. So he let them have a choice. And the choice was that tree. He said, don't eat. I'm going to give you thousands of trees to eat from. They're all yummy. Just don't eat from this one, okay? 
And if you eat from this one, you're going to die. So they they were pretty good until the devil who had fallen to the earth took the form of a serpent, a talking snake. And as a talking snake, he came up to Eve and he started to talk to her, whisper and lie and trick her. He says, did God really say you weren't supposed to eat of all the trees? Can't you eat of all of them? Well, why can't you eat of this one? And then she looked at it and he showed it to her and it didn't look scary. It didn't look bad. And it looked like it would make her wise. So she was deceived, tricked into taking the fruit because she thought, well, you know, if I take the fruit off that tree, then I'll know what God knows because that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So I'll know more. So I'll be more like God. So she actually sinned against God because she wanted to be like God or more like God. Does that make sense? What about the devil? Does that make sense? Oh, I was just saying that. Um, I was watching this. Um, it was a super book. Um, it's called a super book. It's about talking about Jesus. Um, yeah. I saw the same story. Adam and Eve. The snake uh-huh. tricks him, and that mm-hmm. um, um, Jesus comes down from heaven and and he kills the snake. You know what he did. Actually, that's a very cool story. And when Ad, when when the snake tricked Adam and Eve, you know what? God came down. The Father came down, and He looked. He said, "What's going on here?" And Eve said, "The serpent deceived me." And in other words, the snake tricked me. And you know what God did? To, he cursed the snake. You know what He made the snake do? He made the snake crawl on his belly and eat dust. And even to this very day, snakes crawl on their belly. And they eat dust. That's what they eat, isn't that? That's part of the curse that God put on the snake. And and it said, and he said, then God said to the to the Adam and Eve, He said, I will put enmity between you, between your seed and the seed of the serpent. He said that to the woman. What that means is, I'm going to put war between you, your people, your children, human beings, and the seed of the devil. And so when Jesus came on the cross, basically, he crushed the devil's head. He destroyed Satan's claim to our lives. That's why we accept Jesus, because he he rescued us. Isn't that cool? Yeah. I like your questions. They're very cool. Um, do you have any more? Um, no, but I, I was wondering why snakes didn't have any teeth. Oh, why they didn't have any teeth? As- no, any feet. I don't, I, oh, any feet. No, yeah. No. Well, that's no, because no. you, you know, no. now, listen, I'll, sh- I'll show you the verse that I can, in the Bible, if you you got your little Bible, you go to Genesis chapter 3, and he says, um, verse 14, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go. You shall eat dust. All the days of your life. There you have it. God said it, so the snake lost his feet if he even had any. I don't know if he did or not. But I think he he, he would lost his ability to talk, too, because snakes don't talk. So that's good questions. You know, if you want to ask me more questions tonight or some, like, next time, you could do that. You could even write them down because I, you know, I'm going to tell you something. A lot of little kids your age don't even know if they believe in Jesus or that he is real or that God is real, because they've been told by so many people that they come from monkeys. You know, that's called evolution. People believe that lie. 
and it's it's so silly. My question is, you know, how can we want to be like monkeys? And how come the monkeys don't want to be like us? Monkeys don't believe in evolution. How come we believe in evolution? Evolution makes us less than we are. Because you know why people want to believe in evolution? Because they don't want to listen to God. Because they think God is going to make them do stuff they don't want to do. But really, seriously, I think it's the devil who's making us do stuff we don't want to do. I think God is altogether for us, and he loves you very much. So you're a wise young man. So any more questions, Mom? You got any questions? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, um, oh, you're so welcome. Yes. Go ahead. Um, I thought snakes ate rats and mouse mice. Well, you know, I think they do that too, but they also have to eat a certain amount of dust. You should check that out. You should go to your, uh, your uh, I don't know, research something and, and find out what they all eat. Because okay. I know I think they do eat rodents as well. And, of course, you know that's true with the bow constrictors. They eat little goats and rabbits and things. But they also eat dust. Isn't that amazing? Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome, sweetheart. Mom, are you um, ready? Got any more questions? Yes, I just had one other question regarding the law. Um, yeah. I understand that the law was broken, and I understand exactly what you're saying and processing, and processing about how, you know, um, by not being under the condemnation of the law, how we can just, yeah. you know, focus on our faith and know that we are forgiven and loved and we don't have to, yeah. we can abide in him. I'm understanding that more and more and not about Good. doing the work. Um, mm-hmm. The one thing that I have a question about is as I read the Old Testament and I see the law, mm-hmm. I see a lot of um, truth in why God had certain laws set up for his people. And a mm-hmm. lot of times it seems like it was to help protect them. Absolutely. Um, so, like, when he talks about, like, you know, leave a house when there's mold or even, yeah. like, not eating pork because it's, yeah. and things like don't circumcise until day eight. And it kind of mm-hmm. seems like now you can have research to kind of back up, you know, what God's original ways and mm-hmm. design. And so, you know, um, like not circumcising until day eight is because in young babies, you don't pr- produce vitamin K until day eight. So then uh-huh. when they're circumcised, you know, then they're not going to bleed out or certain things That's like right. that. And so I'm having a hard time, like, I don't want to be captive by the law. And I, when you say you know, you don't want the enemy to be able to accuse you because you are under trying to live under the law. I don't want that. But I also feel like there's so much truth in it that I, I want to do that. And I'm kind of struggling. Like, I don't want to be made righteous by it. But I also like when you research pigs, you're like, Oh, now I can kind of see why we shouldn't probably be eating them. But a Mm -hmm. lot of my, but I don't even tell people that because I don't, want them to think like, oh, you think you're righteous by the law, but it's just yeah, kind of yeah. a conviction that I have. So, right. Well, well remember so, yeah, this now. The, in the New Testament, it says all the law is fulfilled in this, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbors yourself. So the real core of the law is love and to forgive. <laughs> That's why in the, New, in the New Testament, Jesus gave us the power to forgive. He said whoever's sins you forgive they're forgiven them because it's all about forgiveness in the old testament they did not have to forgive anybody they actually could go after them you know an eye for an eye tooth for tooth kind of thing 
Uh, but at the same time, that doesn't mean because we have the law and as, as love, we have been upgraded. When you upgrade something, you don't throw away. You build on. You know, you build onto the, 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 the software you already have. Now you're going to upgrade that software to a higher level of functioning. And so with the law, all those, those very good rules, like you just mentioned several very good examples, we're not, here, we're not righteous because we don't eat pork. We're not righteous because we circumcise on the eighth day, blah, blah, blah. But we are righteous because of Jesus Christ. But these other things are wisdom. And um, some of them can, can still be uh, and, and are, are wise to continue to uh, respect or honor them. And some of them are all now obsolete. Or Jesus says, I've come to fulfill the law. I fulfilled all the law. He, the, the law of dying and, and, and providing uh, a way for us to be righteous through his grace. But there are still things in the law, like, for example, we cannot now necessarily do the Passover as they were told to do the Passover because, number one, it was, first of all, a shadow of what we have as uh, the, the crucifixion resurrection. But, the, um, but they can't even, the Jews can't even do the Passover right now because they don't have a temple. To, sac- to sanctify their offerings in so they can take them home and eat them as a Passover. So, I mean, there's certain things that we can't do right now. Even if you wanted to do the whole thing, you couldn't do the whole thing. But I, I agree with you totally. Let the Holy Spirit lead you in the wisdom and counsel of those things. But know that, you know, obviously we are not justified by the law. The, jo- the law, it's like this. The law is like a mirror, a mirror, you look into the mirror, you see the spot on your face. Now, the mirror is not responsible to wash your face, nor can it wash your face. The water of the washing of the word is going to wash your face if you apply it. So the, the, the law is like for the Old Testament, the people, they looked into it. And, and now he says uh, in James, I think he says, be judged according to the perfect law of liberty. So that we are we now have liberty. And, for example, if we break one of those laws of the Old Testament, what, I think now it's not, I mean, people can eat meat or ham or whatever, pork, I should say, whatever. Um, it's not going to make you less or more holy. However, in those days, for sure, it was a very good idea not to. And these days, I think it's still a pretty good idea. However, um, he says in Colossians, he tells us that we're not made justified by observing certain days or certain um, rituals or certain things. We're justified by him, let's see, it says um, uh, in chapter 2, it says, Let no one defraud you of your reward by taking delight in false humility, worshiping of angels, intruding into the things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together by joints and ligament grows with increase, which is from God. Um, let's see, right before that, he says, oh yeah, the verse is right before that, he says, um, Having, let's see, and you being dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. See, for example, if we're still in the Old Testament and we go off and eat pork or something, then the devil has a way to slam us with guilt and we broke the law. Jesus is saying that he um, wiped those handwriting requirements out of the way, um, nailing them to his cross having disarmed principalities and powers, taking away from them actually their rights to charge us with these things, having made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. Therefore, let no one judge you in food or drink or in regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, which are shadows of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. 
you know, people can get all bent out of shape trying to fight over things like um, observing this or that law, this or that holiday. Well, this is a pagan holiday. Well, this is a blah, 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 blah. Well, for everything that, that, that God has, the truth that God is, Satan has created a, a counterfeit. He has created um, a way to pull us into guilt, shame, and condemnation. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, whether you know about that law or not. And so I think you're wise to understand and you're sweet to want to you know, honor the Lord in all these things. But as you let the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you into all truth and not any religious, uh, legalistic, pious deceivers, you just rest in God and be okay with being okay. You're going to have a lot more energy, a lot less anxiety, and you're going to get a lot more work done actually for the kingdom of God by just being okay. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes. It's not that we're yes. abusing grace. It's not that we're looking for loopholes. It's just that these things have been completed in Christ Jesus, and now I'm in a way higher um, mode. It's, it's I'm looking now uh, for to preach the gospel, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely receive, freely give. That's our job description now. That's that's abiding in Christ. That's He's not here to condemn us or condemn people for not keeping this or that law or not knowing about it. He's here to preach and bring the gospel of grace. A lot of times in our churches, they are all, I mean, we have every kind of church out there. We've got these um, uh, messianic type churches, which are trying to pull you back into the law. I think it's great to understand the feasts, the festivals, and all of those things because they're very significant. They mark God's calendar. God's got big things happening on certain dates. The blood moons are coming on the Passover and blah, blah, blah. All that stuff is very important, but... The most important thing is that Jesus Christ is in my heart. His spirit dwells within me, and he is the one who's perfecting that which concerns me, Psalm 138.8, which gives me a whole lot more freedom to just be okay. And when I'm okay, that doesn't mean I can abuse grace. I won't even want to. I mean, some people think, oh, yeah, I can just do what I want to do, and God will forgive me, and I just, you know, it's, it's all cool. And, you know, no, I'm not here to abuse grace because I know how much grace costs Jesus Christ. And I'm not here to insult him. I'm not here to abuse him. I'm here to be grateful and to allow him to really bring me into the fullness of what he died to give me, that abundant life. So that's what I say. That was awesome that you asked those questions. Oh, they're very, very good questions. Good. So thank you for sense? explaining it. Yes. Yes. Yep. And thank you for your little son asking. If he has any more questions, just have him call me next week. Okay. <laughs> thank you so much. All right. God All right. bless you guys. Have a great night. And for the rest of you, too, this is awesome. Have a great night. And I appreciate uh, the wisdom of that little guy, eight years old, and uh, his good question. So, see, um, I bet you some of you are wondering about that yourself. And so just be encouraged in the Lord tonight. Father, we thank you that you have done it. You've completed the work. You've finished it. And it's very important for us to understand the war that goes on between uh, you and Satan over the souls of men and that we are yours. You have kept us. You are keeping us. You are completing us. You have, com- you have completed us. You're finishing the work that you've already uh, finished from the foundation of the world. So it's already done. And we're just grateful, God. Give us peace and a good rest tonight. And I pray that you'd give us wisdom to resist, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. God bless you guys and have a good night. I have an